Wow. You're gonna like this. Oh, no, I'm not. Cause there is no goddamn middle. This is not unlike ancient Rome, by the way. Not so much the family circus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when, um, I did, when I did Mary Shelley, I had the same issue with necromancy. A lot of them yeah. wanted to create self-sustaining farms and got into crystals. I know. Okay. I understand that. And, but yeah, I'm reading Livy, uh, who is a shitty historian. Because eerie guy guys. Others say that because Laurentia's body was common to all the shepherds around, she was called a she-wolf, which is a Latin term for whore. You were audible last season. It just, most of it was you slamming the table. As, as <laughs> the, the Romanists at the table. Well, duh. Yeah. Obviously. Ipso facto. Right. You know, to engage in a little bit of Latin. You have a sword rat. This is a geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher here in Northern California, and uh, I am also a the father of a two and a half year old little boy uh, who uh, earlier today uh, decided that uh, he really, really, really needed me to uh, play octonauts with him using his uh, favorite toys in the world, uh, which are a pair of uh, cheap plastic dinosaurs. Nice. So uh, we were in the, to me, of course, rather surreal position of uh, playing out a storyline from a from a cartoon about a bunch of anthropomorphic animals uh, who are like, uh, are you familiar with octonauts at all? No. Okay. So imagine um, like uh, Aqualab or or DSV. Okay. Anyway, uh, it involves submarines and and you know traveling around in the ocean, sure. uh, and so. Um, but, but playing out storylines that, that involve, uh, anthropomorphic animals, uh, in, in diving suits only, uh, in this case, uh, they were a pair of, of plastic dinosaurs. So yeah, I, I got my daily dose of Dadaism today, nice. uh, that way. Yeah. Uh, how about you? Well, let's see. I am a Latin teacher up here in Northern California. I spent most of my day recording content for all my classes because I don't trust any district to get it right. So I'm going to have a backup system that is as asynchronous as possible. Um, I am the proud father of two children, one who is 10 and a half and one who is eight. She just lost her second tooth up front. So now she's got the gap uh, up in the top. Um, and All right. her brother taught me a little bit about, um, compassion when it came to order 66. So it was, it was a good week the last week. So, All right. Yeah. All so right. I like it. Yeah. What like do you, what do you got for it. me tonight? Cause I, I am, well, I am spent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have been working you pretty hard uh, the true. last few weeks. Rope so hard, what, what I've, what wet. I've got for you. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know about that part. You know, social distancing and all. I, I have no idea, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting that you should mention Order 66. Oh. Because um, something that, that kind of jumped out at me, um, and I, I don't remember how, how I wound up getting derailed on this particular train of thought, but um, it has been a week or two now. Uh, you know, the, the Jedi... Mm-hmm. 
um, in in the prequels, mm-hmm. which of course is when Order sixty six winds up happening, sure, uh, have a have a very specific uh, kind of kind of organizational structure. They have a very specific kind of a hierarchy uh, that actually um, winds up becoming one of the more tedious plot points. Uh, when, when, you know, they have, they have the whole, you know, manufactured controversy about, well, you know, okay, Anakin, uh, we're giving you the, the, we're giving, we're putting you on the council. You're going to get a seat on the council, but we're not making you a master. Right. As though it's a bureaucratic thing instead of like a revealed revelation thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and then, and then, and then there's the very, the very, I, I, I find it pointed. I I actually find it very pointed that, that you talk about revelation. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the terms of revealed scripture, mm-hmm. uh, which which is interesting because of what it says about the paradigm through which the whole Jedi organizational structure is is uh, uh, viewed the the lens uh, and and the whole paradigm in which they were they were created. And see the reason the reason for this. Mm-hmm. The reason the reason I find it, it is the reason it sticks in my teeth. I'll put it that way. Is um, we we have there are so many other ways that the Jedi could have worked. Sure, sure. In fact, there and were George, so many other ways that it did work. If you look at Episode Four compared to Episode Five, yeah. and Episode yeah. Five compared to Episode Six, and then you've got the entire EU, which at one point was canon. Um, yeah. And then he does the prequels while that conflicts with the canon because he's making fan films. Um, but so there are so many ways it could have worked because there are so many ways it did work. Um, and some some of the best writing in the books actually helps to address that. And I'm hoping I'll, I can bring that in later, given where, oh, you're, yeah, where well, you're going. Yeah, not 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 very much later, because because mm-hmm. where, where I actually want to start is is with a place where you're going to be able to share Ooh. your your in-depth expertise regarding <laughs> Uh, the the broad uh, canon yes. of uh, or or former canon now legends whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah. Of, well, of there the was Star a great Wars, schism Star Wars universe and uh, yes yes <laughs> so yes. Uh, yeah. orthodox like versus <laughs> <laughs> orthodox versus reformed yes. I don't know how would yeah. we, what would we call that okay um, but but the thing is with with all of the stuff that that is there in mm-hmm. in the uh, expanded universe extended universe. Um, and all of the stuff that, like, if he had spent any time reading a fucking textbook, like, at all, okay. about any kind, about any kind of pseudo-military martial arts organization ever in history, there are so many other storylines we could have gotten out of this, and instead the one we got was, well, the one we got and and so um, what I'm what I'm kind of calling this is what the Jedi could have been. Okay. But George Lucas fucked up again. <laughs> because because as you'll recall, of uh-huh. course, uh-huh. Uh, a a number of episodes ago, back at back at the beginning of season two of our of our podcast, we uh-huh. we opened uh, our uh, and you know we we entered into the the Star Wars universe for the first time with me talking about how George Lucas uh, you know tried to introduce Buddhism uh, into his cosmology and fucked that up. Yes. So um, this is this is one more example of that. Okay, I believe um, that. And and so to to kind of kind of start us off, let's mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit 
about um, kind of kind of the the uh, narrative history of of the Jedi through I'm I'm gonna say just episodes four through three. Okay, so four, five, okay. six, one, two, three. Yes. Okay. Yes. Will that include the books, which at that time were considered a canon, even though they were considered a slightly lesser canon, a Diane canon, if you will. We we can we can bring that in because I know that's going to be a place where you where you have a lot of a lot of information that mm-hmm. I'm I am not as much as I love the Star Wars universe. I have not spent nearly as much time in the printed version of that universe, and so I know that's a place where you can bring a lot of your expertise sure, in. Sure, sure, gladly. So, so, but to start out with, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm going to, we're going to kind of ping pong back and forth a little bit here. All right. Because, um, very, very obviously as, as came up in, you know, how George Lucas screwed up Buddhism, mm-hmm. uh, previously the Jedi themselves and, and like whole, whole acres of tropage. Mm-hmm tropiary if you will in <laughs> in in, <laughs> that was in well the crafted. star wars thank you mm-hmm. <laughs> i had to trim it around the edges a little uh, bit but um see i can i i can occasionally you i can, can branch I can out bring, this is good. I, I can bring oh nice well yeah. done sir yeah. well done so <laughs> what um, you do occasionally i do anyway. compulsively so <laughs> yeah yeah you know yeah um so but in any event you know in 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 the beginning of of you know the the uh, the, the prehistory of Star Wars, if you mm-hmm. will, George Lucas was this you know film student. Yes, he was. Who was very 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 powerfully influenced by, and I can I can hear producer George saying it ahead of me because he as he listens to this, he'll know exactly where I'm going because it's where I always go. Kurosawa. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, and, and, you know, in, anybody, anybody who spends any time talking about the, the cinema of Star Wars, mm-hmm. like it's immediate that like so much out of, uh, the, especially the first trilogy is, is cribbed, like stolen whole cloth oh, yeah. from, from Kurosawa, you know, visually speaking. Yes. I mean, with good reason, cause, cause the man's a genius. Um, but, um. And and so the the genre of film mm-hmm. that that Lucas was was looking at mostly mm-hmm. as the inspiration for this particular part of the background. It's a pretty important part of the background of of Star Wars. Was uh, the the genre of Jedi Geki? Yeah, I mean, I, I and can't... It's, it's I mean, it's where the Jedi get their name. Yeah, I can't emphasize enough how important the Jedi were to the center of the story of Star Wars. Like, Obi-Wan Kenobi does the pointer scene almost literally with the lightsaber that is the pointer because he says for, you know, and, and, and this is where I think Lucas did such a good job in episode four. He handled like four very important things in writing with like two sentences each. When they talked about the entire structure of the government, how will he keep the systems in line without the bureaucracy? Tarkin walks in. The imperial, uh, the this, the imperial senate will no longer be an issue. He essentially dissolved it. Yes. So that lets you know there was a senate. That lets you know that there might have been some sort of republican, as in little r republican, um, overtones to the previous government. That there is in fact an emperor. 
and that that emperor has since dissolved the uh, body politic that would help him to run things. And that yes. this uh, new Death Star would be the fear that keeps the systems in line. Like, yeah, all you, that you was done me. in two lines. Yeah, you, you beat me to it. Fear will keep yes. the systems in line. Yes. So, so, so yeah, and, and, then, you're right. and then he and, does that with the Jedi, with Obi-Wan Kenobi. He says, you know, for a thousand generations, uh, they, they, you know, kept the peace in the galaxy and uh, until the dark times, uh, you know, and it's like, until the Empire. And it's like, okay, so for 20,000 years, the Jedi were the dominant paradigm for peacekeeping. And then the Empire came, which we are going to learn about in, in just a few filmic minutes. Um, and they have been wiped out. Um, and by the way, here's a guy that did it, like who's still alive right now. So they were wiped out in recent memory even. So like there's yeah. just so much that they handled just in the the writing. It was it was almost like a, a Greek play where all the action happened off camera because <laughs> because they only have yeah. the budget to talk about it. You know, like there was yeah. there was really something to that writing in episode four. So yes, the the Jedi are a central part of of the entire Star Wars story. Yeah, they're yeah. they're they're critically important to the to the construction of the universe mm -hmm. and and I think as as you were talking about it, one of the things that occurred to me is there's there's a very important um, dichotomy part of the part of the countercultural DNA of the original trilogy mm -hmm. is the idea that uh, we had these this this order of mystic warriors yes. who have been wiped out by this mechanistic overtly fascist. Mm -hmm. A military dictatorship system. Yeah, and that that the Jedi were were specifically. I mean, and of course Obi Wan's being you know uh, self congratulatory at least, but <laughs> but you know talking about them being the guardians of peace, right? As opposed to you know from the very beginning, the first time we see Imperial stormtroopers, they are a tool of domination, right? And so so. There's, there's, you're right. That that is that is brilliantly elegant in the in the biological sense of elegance, yes, or the scientific sense of elegance. There's a brilliantly elegant bit of writing there, um, and and from the very first moment we visually get a get a glimpse up close of Obi Wan Kenobi, mm -hmm. who is a Jedi Knight. We later find out, of course, he was a Jedi Master, but mm -hmm. you know, so we we, we see from the way that Obi-Wan Kenobi is dressed in that first scene, mm -hmm. um, anybody paying attention to costuming detail and knowing anything about history of costume mm -hmm. will immediately recognize the, the Japanese samurai movie influence in, in, in the garments that he's wearing. He's literally wearing an Obi. Um, he, he looks, he, he literally is in fact wearing, and Obi, that's mm -hmm. like, and and it's right there in his name. Yep. <laughs> um, and and so so the Jedi are the, the Jedi are, are are crucial to the whole to the whole core of what Star Wars is, and they are themselves, or or the inspiration for them comes from the protagonists of this whole genre of of Japanese film called Jedi Geki. Mm -hmm. Now, literally, Jedi Geki means period drama. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so technically speaking, any kind of historical costume drama in Japanese is Jidageki. But 
what it what it is is usually used to refer to is is specifically these dramas that are set in the Edo period. Okay. Which, uh, for those not up on how Japanese history is divided into time periods, uh, the Edo period starts in 1600 and ends in 1868. Uh, that makes and, sense because there's 16 is eight times two, and 1868 has two eights in it, and so that's four eights. So that's an eight O period. Wow, <laughs> that you that you did that. As rapidly as you did, I know you're, you're sitting there just, thinking, just "Wow, Tokyo long enough." Psychosis. Mm. <laughs> Which, interestingly enough, of course, is the modern name of the city of Edo. I know what I'm doing. I know you do. <laughs> Damn it! But <laughs> that makes it worse. Yeah, it does. It really does. It really does. You you realize that makes it worse, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like cheating. So. Um, so, but the, the the defining the defining aspect of the Edo period is that for that 268 years, the country was run by one family, the Tokugawa. Okay, 268 and, years, by the way, is two years shy of being 270 years, which is a cube number, and eight is a cube of two. So I see what you're doing there. And 270 minus 268 is, uh, you know, a cube minus a cube. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm you, with you. You, you really need to stop watching QAnon videos. <laughs> I haven't watched because because yeah, you know what? I yeah. don't believe you because you're finding neurology <laughs> where I, really there isn't like honest to God there isn't any. But anyway, um, someday and, I'll show you the napkin that I did all the work on squares and cubes on. This is not a yeah. lie. Um, <laughs> I found patterns between the sums of squares and between the sums of of cubes. Um, and just the layers down. And, and I've asked my mathematician friends because I'm like, there's no way that my dumbass could have come up with this first. Who found this? And they're like, well, we don't know who found it, but here's the, the principle behind it. And we teach it this way. And I'm like, I don't understand any of that. I just understand these arrows that I drew. So <laughs> it is the most idiot savant. I bring the idiot to idiot savant when it comes to numbers. So yes, my, my love of patterns uh, has borne out yet again. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> pattern recognition, by the way, really good uh, William Gibson novel. Um, so, because that's where my brain goes. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, this this genre of film is takes place in this period that that is that is known as the Tokugawa Shogunate or the Edo period because they moved the capital to Edo. Um, and time and, out. Time out. Go ahead. That means they had a capital prior. Yes. And that capital uh, was a for the entire nation state of Japan. Well, okay, okay, um, or it was quick. just the largest group. Like it was Wait, like well, what the Prussians okay, were so, to Germany, so, kind of thing. Yeah, no, okay. uh, way back machine, real quick. Mm -hmm. um, so before the before the Edo period mm -hmm. uh, is the Sengoku Jidai, which is the age of the country at war. Technically speaking, everybody was supposed to answer to the emperor. Okay. Well, okay, technically speaking, everybody was supposed to answer to the shogun who was supposed to answer to the emperor, but there hadn't there wasn't a shogun for over 150 years. I'm I'm trying to remember oh, exactly okay. when one period ended and the and the Sengoku Jidai started. But the during during this time period, there mm -hmm. was basically constant uh regional warfare. Okay. Uh, because because there was not anybody in charge to keep the local lords in line. Daimyo, literally big names, uh -huh. uh, think feudal warlords. Okay, because that's what they were. 
Um, imagine what medieval France would have looked like if nobody had like bothered to listen to the king at all ever. Okay. Okay. Medieval French kings, of course, had a lot of trouble getting their nobles to listen to them, but it was kind of an on again, off again kind of problem. And some nobles would be like, well, you know, I could be king. I have, I have almost as legitimate a claim to the throne as you do. So I'm not going to neener, neener. I'm sorry, Niner, Niner. I'm not going to listen to you. Uh, but but usually there there was enough uh, legitimacy and enough uh, prestige attached to the crown that, that the okay. king was able to get support to get people to toe the line. The shogun had literally disintegrated uh, at the beginning of the of the Sengoku Jidai, and and everybody was scrambling to try to become the next shogun. Okay, and the emperor became even more of a, a political tool and it was just it was a massively chaotic period of time now what what years and so, was this like range oh geez okay well so, it's, it's prior to the Edo period remember, so it's before the 16 yeah so, so yeah 16 well no 1600 mm-hmm. and i'm going to get into exactly what it was that started the the Edo period off okay. there's a there's a specific reason why the year 16 1600 is the beginning of the Edo period. Oh, okay. Um, and it's 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 a specific battle that was one of, that was possibly the most pivotal battle in Japanese history. Gotcha. Um, so anyway, uh, prior to that, uh, I want to say we're talking about since about the 1450s. Okay. So let's so see. It was, so it was 150 years, give or take. Okay. All right. I'm just trying to think of like when Portuguese traders got there. And um, the they start using firearms. Yeah. Well, see, here's the deal. So the Portuguese showed up, mm-hmm. and, and um, they originally showed up in the in the southern end of the country. Right. And um, so a number of southern lords got a hold of uh, weapons. Right. That's why they're called they, shoguns. They. Nice. 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 That's you know. I, I, my brain never actually went there, but you know, you're not entirely, well, yeah, no. Okay. Um, cause I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think about it. Is there validity? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> cause I'm that kind of pedant. So, so the thing is basically at first the introduction of firearms, the, the first couple of, of daimyo who got a hold of them, um, what what actually wound up happening was a daimyo bought like a dozen uh, matchlock guns right. from Portuguese traders for small pieces of silver. Yeah, uh, because they're a daimyo. Yes, yes, they're literally a daimyo a dozen. And then he immediately handed oh, several of them over to a swordsmith <laughs> to to figure out how to reverse engineer how to how to for, how to how to make more guns. Very and smart. so the Japanese. So at, at the very at the very beginning of this this arms race, mm-hmm. uh, the Japanese uh, Japanese smiths uh, showed the same level of, okay, I'm going to take this. I, I see this thing, mm-hmm. and I'm going to reverse engineer it and figure out how to make it, you know, better for me at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the the same kind of genius that that wound up propelling them into you know the front rank of industrialized nations in the wake of World War II. Which we've talked about, yeah, in episodes. Yeah. Well, and that uh, propelled them onto the world stage as a, a nation state empire in the late 1800s under the Meiji era, too. Like it yes. seems like this this instinct 
because there's different instincts that seem to crop up throughout the world. This seems to be a very yeah. Japanese instinct, whereas other places are like, we're shutting oh, our yeah, doors. Yeah. Fuck all y'all. We're fine. You know, and then well, you there's know, okay. anywhere in between. Yeah. So so the thing is, during the Edo period, mm-hmm. uh, once Tokugawa took control, once mm-hmm. once uh, uh, Ieyasu uh, unified the country under his rule, uh, he immediately clamped down on all foreign traders in the country. He did he did a couple right. of very important things. Number one, uh, <clears throat> he outlawed uh, Christianity. Mm-hmm. If you were Japanese, you were not allowed to be a Christian, uh, which forced Japanese Christians to go underground. And there's a whole fascinating history about the development of the theology of the Kurishitan in in Japanese uh, history, uh, who when they when they finally made contact with foreign priests mm-hmm. a couple of hundred years later, uh, those priests looked at at the things that had happened to Bible stories and and the theology of of what had happened underground and went you've done to Christianity what you did with Buddhism before and Buddhism was cool with it, but we are not. But yeah. anyway, we're getting off the subject, but, um, so he, 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 he cut the country off. He cut J- Japan off from the outside world entirely with the one exception mm-hmm. that the Dutch right. were allowed to operate a trading post uh, in in Kyushu, in the southernmost part of the country, and it was very very rigidly controlled. And do you know why it was that he chose the Dutch? I don't, but I think I'm going to love the answer. <laughs> because the Dutch were Protestants, which meant the Dutch oh, didn't wow. have Jesuits with them, and the <laughs> Dutch. <laughs> that alone which is as, just hilarious. Yeah, which as a Catholic, I'm like, yeah, okay, can't blame you. Fair, yeah. Uh, you know, I mean. <laughs> And this is speaking as a guy who attends a, a Jesuit uh, uh, parish. Well, but, then you would know. You know yeah. yeah. But but it was but it was okay. No look, no look. All of, you guys are Christians, mm-hmm. but you're not the kind of Christians who are going to try to be subverting my authority by spreading right. your religion in my country and telling people that there's this religious religious loyalty that they have to have above their loyalty to me. Their right. their dictatorial you know military ruler. Right. Well, so, so like the Dutch could do their thing and the Japanese could do their thing. Yeah. So he respected their willingness to go Dutch. Nice. Thank you. Nice. Thank you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, this is what happens <sighs> when I have to do all the work. I don't get to get all yeah, the jokes in. Yeah, you don't get to get all the puns in. <laughs> so um, so, so the, these, these period dramas mm-hmm. take place during this time period when – uh, Japan was this bubble. Mm-hmm. Okay, there there were no foreign influences. They 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 even had. I mean, their their contact even with China was was very severely cut back. Gotcha. Uh, mostly because Tokugawa didn't trust the Chinese, for you know historically not really bad reasons. Sure. Because um, you know Genghis Khan had tried to invade four hundred years before, mm-hmm. so. Oh, kind of can't blame him. Um, and and so, so the, the Tokugawa ran the country with an iron fist. Their their authority was unassailable. And they they took uh, one of one of the kind of related genres. Jidaigeki kind of branches off into a bunch of different genres. And Jidaigeki, the, the 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 genre can be seen kind of kind of branching off into ninja 
movies, like sure. Japanese ninja movies of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And a whole lot of those stories have to do with ninja who had been mercenaries during mm-hmm. the Civil War period, during mm-hmm. during Sengoku Jidai. They had worked for different clans. Once Tokugawa took control, he said, you have two choices. Mm-hmm. You can work for me, or I can kill you all. Yeah. And I have, yeah. and I have, and I have, and I have the military power to make that happen. And so those those ninja organizations, families, whatever you want to say, the the, the families who had, who had done that stuff during the Civil War period, um, became his secret police. Oh wow! Okay, so and he so, completely so co-opted them. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. and he had he like he it was, it's very easy when you're teaching the history especially to like middle schoolers in the seventh grade it's really easy to say okay so now what we have is this feudal system with you know the shogun being like the king and the daimyo being like these lords and the thing is those parallels are there and they are kind of valid but but they don't show the full picture and when you get to university level instruction you basically need to say no no this was a military dictatorship with feudal trappings Okay, yeah, I could, I could see that. I I think it's interesting too that um so the the Jedi Gekai Jedi Geki movies are, um set in this period of time, um in in some ways you're following around uh I'm I'm gonna use very broad brush because it saves time you're yeah. you're yeah. following you have in the background, um, complete and total authority. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in the <clears throat> foreground, you have essentially errant knights or lone gunmen yes. wandering around. Yes. And I think about yes. the Western movies that also absolutely inspired this. Mm-hmm. And the 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 difference, though, what what I think is fascinating there is that the difference is there was no government out west. That's why people came out west. They were fleeing an yes. authority. Whereas the Japanese model is there is a total authority in the background. Whereas in the American model it's no there's, there ain't shit in the background. Like total 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 lawlessness. Yeah. And and the yeah. other difference I think is 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 interesting right there is that in addition to the total lawlessness, so there's nothing propping anything else up, there are zombies walk. I'm sorry, Native Americans walking <laughs> the land because they're the same thing in zombie movies. Um, but there are Native Americans walking the land who are a continual menacing threat anytime you run out of writing ideas. I wonder, and, and they are a Native group um, that is, has been you know reduced quite a bit to a menace. Do they have anything in Jedi Geki movies that are similar? Is there like, you know, the, the Ainu are somehow represented? You know, in those, what's, what's interesting. Not? No, uh, okay. because by the, by the time, by the, by the Edo period, by, by the time period that Jidageki mostly focuses on, cause there, it, it should be noted again, I'm, I'm describing Jidageki with a broad brush. The, the overwhelming majority of Jidageki stories are from the Edo period. There are, there's, you know, a subset of them that are during the, the Sengoku Jidai. And there are some that are from even earlier in Japanese history, but, but the overwhelming majority of them are during this time period. And by the time of the Edo, the, the Ainu had been driven to Hokkaido. Okay. And, and if, if we wanted to look for a time period that would generate that same trope, Mm Mm-hmm. 
for the Japanese, we would have to go back to before the Heian period. And if we could get into the Wayback Machine, the Andre 3000, yeah. to get into the Heian period. <laughs> nice. Uh, thank you. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, so no, there is no real analog no, to the Native no. American well, menace. In the Western, not, not 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 without an awful lot of um, subtextual difference. Right, right. So, it's not a one-to-one. So have, have you? No, it's not. Have Have you seen um, the Seven Samurai? Uh, yeah, Seven Samurai. Oh God, yeah. Well, well I mean, okay. I fell asleep the first time, so I only saw six of them. But then, <laughs> yeah, okay. All no, right. actually, I loved that movie. I thought it was phenomenal oh. to the point where. Oh the episode of Mandalorian where they're training people to fight against the Klaatunians. Um, Julia loves that episode and I can't wait to show them both William and Julia, the seven samurai. Oh yeah. I'll be, I'll well, be looking yeah. forward to that. But yes, yeah, I have seen so, the seven, seven. So, okay. I just want to go back just, just for half a tick more. So okay. in the American Westerns, uh, which were yeah. absolutely influencing Jedi Gecky movies, lawlessness yeah. existed and a menace that no law could help control. Um, yes. were paired together as the yes. background, whereas in this one, the background was a military dictatorship that was absolute. I yes. think that's a really interesting um, contrast between those two, just yeah. in terms of the culture, because Jedi Gecky movies are in the 50s. You have yeah. um, American occupation fresh on mm -hmm. the mind. It's true. And whereas in America during you know the Western times, it's, it's essentially repackaging American um, uh, what do you call it in, in individualism because of the threat of uh, oh you've got the threat of communism um, so yeah. you've got this per pervasive menace so they're still writing at the time that they're writing like they're still reaching yeah. back oh, to yeah, a time yeah, yeah. that reminds them of what's going on right now oh oh yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 what's what's really interesting about Jidageki also is that it is the same kind of mythologizing of their past mm -hmm. and and a and a hearkening back to their cultural national identity mm -hmm. uh in the same way that westerns are at a time when right. there was a great deal of uncertainty there was a great deal of you know existential threat and for the japanese there was a great deal of um proof emotional of angst threat, attached yeah. to the way the war had ended you know yeah you know yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, in, in, in Jidageki stories, and, and this is kind of how we're going to, we're going to now kind of move back to talking a little bit about Star Wars th this way. It's, it's, it's great that you point out that, you know, the protagonists in these stories are these knights errant kind of figures, because the thing is, um, some Jidageki stories like very broadly confided into two categories. There are either Edo stories, mm -hmm. which are focused in and around feudal shogunal Tokyo. Right. Uh, or they are wandering stories, traveling stories sure, where sure. you have the protagonists are protagonist or plural protagonists are these wandering swordsmen. Mm -hmm. And in nearly all of them, mm -hmm. because so as, as you, as you say, you're right there, there is the backdrop of the Tokugawa show in it, which was this absolutist military dictatorship. Mm hmm. Um, and all of these stories in some way or another examine the way that individual heroes 
have to deal with that system breaking down for the little people or, or, or people who are not at the top of the social order because the, the Tokugawa Shogunate was really, really great mm-hmm. on a, on a, on a nation and a nationwide kind of scale. They were really, really good at maintaining their own power, keeping, generally speaking, keeping local authorities, uh, or keeping, keeping local, yeah, local, local authorities, local feudal lords mm-hmm. under control, meaning keeping them from becoming a threat to their own authority, mm-hmm. and uh, maintaining, you know, prosperity and and overall, you know, peace within the country for for two hundred years, which which the prior shogunate had shogunates had never succeeded in doing, and of course there had been you know one hundred and fifty years of civil war immediately before them. And so there's there's this kind of kind of well you know yeah fascist dictatorship on the other hand 260 years of no no civil warfare you know yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's depending, like if uh, Batman was which in way you want yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, you know and and so they they um, the the heroes. Uh, wind up encountering these places where that system is broken down. So the Seven Samurai is a classic example. It's, yes. it's like you know, text literally a textbook example of Jidaigeki. And so these bandits who used to be who used to be samurai who were right. feudal warriors fighting during the period of civil war are now living in the hills and they have now formed their own army under leadership of some, you know, Nobuseri leader. And they're, they're saying, you know, you got to pay up or we're going to kill you all. Right. And so the people of this village now need help. And the local authority doesn't have the tools to do that because he's, he's in Edo. Mm-hmm. He's he's in the he's been pulled to the capital by the shogunate to make sure they can keep an eye on him, because because part of the system was as a local daimyo, mm-hmm. they called it alternate attendance. You would spend one year in Edo, acting okay. as a flunky to the shogun, and then you would get to go home to your own territory. And so while you were in absentia, you had some other member of your family, somebody else running things. Sure. And, and so, you know, if your local lord was in Edo, you had to rely on whoever was there to solve these kind of problems. And in this particular case, it's like, well, you know, it's one village and to the shogunate, whatever, it's one village. It's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. They're not going to, you know, it's, so, so the villagers have to find some, you know, knights errant to, to save them. This sounds very Robin Hood. Uh, you know, yeah. In in some ways, like there's a different mechanism for removing yeah. the guy who keeps the order, but it sounds very Robin Hood on some levels. Yeah. It also sounds very similar to you had this. Uh, you have a town marshal, but you also have a yeah. county sheriff, and the county sheriff is yeah. almost always a unreliable fellow, and the town marshal can only do so much, and that's why you need to have you know Emilio yeah. Estevez come in. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah somebody's somebody's hands are tied mm-hmm. for some reason, you know, and and in in very many of these stories talking about the, the Westerns parallel, mm-hmm. you know, you you have the situation where there's, you know, some oil baron, some local landowner who wants to, you know, drive all the smallholders off of their territory right. because, 
you know, he wants to get the mineral rights or he mm-hmm. wants he wants to bring the railroad in and make sure. a bunch of money, whatever. And so he he, you know, gets together his his, you know, hardened killers, a bunch of ex Confederate, you know, types, and they're gonna, you know, they're gonna yep. they're gonna, you know, kick everybody off the land and you've gotta have, you know, Shane come riding into town. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, the knight errant wander in. Mm-hmm. And so up the it's the same mechanism clean up the town it's the same mechanism Mm -hmm. only in many of these stories it's well you know the nephew of the local lord is insane and he's kidnapping uh you know the daughters of local local families and you know but but because of because of the family's connection to the shogunate the shogunate isn't going to do anything about it because the embarrassment would be too great so we've got a higher samurai executioner to come in here and you know do the job for us Mm -hmm. and so and i can and the 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 historical mechanism of actually having all of these wandering swordsmen i can get into later but but the because they they actually did have all these wandering swordsmen and and bandits were a problem and but we can we can get into that in a minute but but narratively Mm -hmm. this leads us directly to this conception of the Jedi that we get in the original trilogy yes, of being these, you know, they're not really, it's, it's never stated in the original trilogy. This is something that, 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 that hits me in the face every time I think about it is in the original trilogy. We, we were never given the idea that the Jedi were agents of the Republic. Right. They seem to do it on their own. And even in episodes one, two, three, they were agents of the Republic without being agents of the Republic. Like that was yeah. a plot point was that Palpatine was grabbing more uh, Republic power over the Jedi. And they were chafing under the idea of that, the very idea of that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. In the in the in the prequel, yeah, in the prequel trilogy, mm-hmm. we we then so so in the first in the first three movies and in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Oh boy! I want to go back to Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Okay. Yes, I know. I know. I know. We're, we're gonna. We're just gonna. We're just gonna compartment. We're gonna compartmentalize very heavily here because we're gonna. We're gonna take all the all the ick that's involved mm-hmm. in. Nobody knew that Leia was Luke's sister yet. Right. And we're gonna. We're gonna shuffle that off to one side. And the conception that Luke carries in his head mm-hmm. of what his job would be in that situation as a Jedi. Right is solidly that he is somewhere between a knight templar you know peerless mm-hmm. skilled you know ass kicker right uh wandering swordsman and paladin of charlemagne like mm-hmm. you know and 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 there's no so so the knights templar were a religious order but they were knights first and foremost there, there is not this uh, uh, conception of a Jedi being particularly monk-like at mm-hmm. that point in the in the in the conception. We don't see we don't see monkness until we get to um, Empire Strikes Back, right? Which is where which is where it first comes up. And again, I'm going to say this is also where 
we we really first get the the overt introduction of of kind of Buddhist ideas and and you know Eastern di- direct Eastern myst- like the the Eastern mysticism of it all is is overt for the first time when mm-hmm. when Yoda when when Yoda starts starts teaching. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because if and, you look back yeah. to Obi Wan's teachings, number one, I mean, he knew Luke for like four days at the most. Yeah. So how much could he have told him? And half the things he's telling him are to manipulate him into coming with him. Um, but, uh, you know, like, hey, here's some cool tricks you can do to prove that I'm right. And, you know, here's some, like, basic, like, let go of your feelings. Feel the force flowing through mm-hmm. you. And <clears throat> it's clear that I'm not force sensitive because yeah. <clears throat> I can't make heads or tails of any of that shit. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, like him, him telling Luke, uh, all these things is it's, he's getting a yeah. super crash course in Jedi-ing, um, you yeah. know, he's teaching him what he can while he can. And that, that right there feels very much like individual mystics can tap into the force and do this thing that loosely ties them all together. Maybe if you see another one, you're bound to help him or, or what have you, but otherwise yeah. you just kind of wander the earth like Cain. Um, and then you get to episode five and it's way more yeah. monk, way more monk. Like, Hey, way there's a whole training system here, you know, yeah. like, uh, and in the novelization, it's even more, uh, for episode five. Um, because I mean, really? Yoda has these little balls of energy that shoot the shit out of Luke and knock him out for hours on end. Um, but, uh, you know, like, Hey, you should have been watching. But it is very okay. monk-esque as in, you know, in that, you know, like we're going to physically exhaust you and then teach you the philosophy. So it's yeah. you know, very, very much the the suffering monastic order. Yeah, the asceticism becomes mm-hmm. much, much clearer. Mm-hmm. And also the that duality that you'd spoken to last time. Yeah. The 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 poor understanding. Yeah. 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 That, that, okay. Uh, let's let's also talk about how how George Lucas screwed up Taoism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, while we're at it. Um, but so so the, but but the concept of what of of how the Jedi operated and mm-hmm. what a Jedi was um, is is still but at at the end of at the end of Episode Six, mm-hmm. I am a Jedi like my father before me. Mm-hmm. He is he is making he is making a statement about his about how he how he identifies like what side of oh, yeah. this dualistic this this dualistic conflict you know spiritual conflict he 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 falls on yes and and there is still this idea mm-hmm. that um that that it is about. That that there is all this philosophy involved in it, but it is it is an active philosophy. Mm-hmm. It is it is not um, it, it is not it is not merely like identifying yourself as being um, a stoic. Yeah, it's it not is, no, no, navel gazing. Yeah, no, it is it is a very it is it is immensely active, and mm-hmm. it is uh, and 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 he does not say. I am part of the Jedi order. He doesn't, he doesn't right. say, he says, I am a Jedi. Yes. And, and, and the thing is, th- I'm going to go back to Jedi Geki here and, mm-hmm. and go back to the history of Jedi Geki because one of the things that's necessary for a Jedi Geki story to work is you have to have samurai because mm-hmm. in, in, 
Edo period Japan, being a samurai was not just your profession. Okay. Being a samurai was your position in society. It was, it, it was a rank. Okay. It was, it was a role in society. It wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a, a position, but as, as samurai, mm-hmm. you were a member of the class that was allowed to carry weapons Mm-hmm. that was required to serve the social order um, and and um, in order to have a Jidaigeki story, Jidaigeki stories always end in a sword fight like, and okay. again, very broad brush, but but like the, the, the exceptions are vanishingly rare. It always ends in a sword fight. And the wandering hero in, in a wandering Jidaigeki story, the wandering hero takes on the role, at the very least, of a ronin. Okay. If he isn't actually a ronin himself. Now, to clarify, mm-hmm. a, a samurai mm-hmm. was somebody who was in service to a daimyo. You, you had a feudal relationship to somebody who uh, gave you, you know, lodgings you know, put you up in a barracks at the very least, or if you were higher ranking, he provided you with a home and a small plot of land. Right. And, you know, you, you were, you you had a feudal obligation to that individual and then through that individual to the shogunate. Mm-hmm. Okay. As a samurai. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the reason the Edo period is dated to 1600 is because of a battle. The Battle of Sekigahara. Okay. I swear this is gonna swear this is gonna link up in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the Battle of Sekigahara, Tokugawa Ieyasu solidified his control of the country. Um, in 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 a in a massive pivotal battle, and it was the the army of the east versus the army of the west. Um, Tokugawa was the leader of the eastern army. At the beginning of the battle, they were outnumbered. But halfway through the battle, um, the the uh, one one of the families that that was supposed to be fighting for the Westerners switched sides and entered the battle on Tokugawa's side, which turned the tide of the battle. Did they do this? Like, From, were they holding back on purpose to do this, or did they decide mid-battle, like, hey, this is a better move? Tokugawa had reached out to the to the lord of that family beforehand. He had okay. a personal relationship to the young man who was the who was the the leader of that particular clan. Okay. And and so much like I'm trying to remember which family it was at uh, Oh jeez, Wars Wars of the Roses. Anyway, Oh, Plantagenets and the yeah, uh, yeah, Tudors. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but um Battle Bosworth Field at Bosworth Field, there there was a very similar dynamic. There was a very important, powerful military family that that kind of hedged their bets and then gotcha. threw in on the side of the Tudors. Similar kind of thing at Sekigahara. This family okay. threw in on the side of the Tokugawa. And so ever thereafter, for the rest of the Tokugawa shogunate, mm-hmm. all of the major noble families of Japan were divided into two groups, eastern families and western families. 
And that didn't always correspond to where their territory actually was in the country because one of the first things the Tokugawa did was as soon as he had the power to do it, Ieyasu picked people up and moved them. Oh, that's so very English you, king. Your, oh, yeah. Your family has been ruling this territory right here for the last 300 years. I'm picking you up and mm-hmm. I'm moving you over to this other part of the country. It's the exact same amount of territory. Mm-hmm. Your income is probably shrinking slightly, but you you can't complain about it because on paper it looks the same. Right. But the people who live there are not your people. Right. You have to reestablish new so relationships. I'm, so you while to, you're scrambling, I've got more power. And now you're dependent upon me for your uh-huh. power. And and I will oh, package yeah. it as a way of you are so good at what you're doing, I need to move you over here. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's a great, there's a, there's a great example, uh, of, of, of this was the Shimatsu clan of Satsuma, uh, one of the, one of the southernmost, uh, fiefdoms in, okay. in, the, in the country on the island of Kyushu. Uh, the, the Shimatsu, uh, clan, uh, were part of the Western army at Sekigahara and he didn't move them. Okay. But he did, but he did give them every shit job that came along for the next 250 years. Okay. Uh, very, very notably, there was, there was a point, I think it was in the 1700s and I don't remember exactly when, but there's a really compelling, uh, set of, set of manga, uh, several volumes mm-hmm. of, of where, where the story has been, has been told in that, in that medium, uh, where the Shimatsu samurai were sent to a completely different part of the country mm-hmm. uh, to do flood control work. And it was literally backbreaking, like like deadly, you're gonna shed your blood doing this kind of labor. Right. And it was it was how to put this, in a in a in a Confucian society, nothing ever gets done completely bald facedly. But it was it was as bald faced as the Shogun could get away with being that no no you're you're the people we've been shitting on we're continuing to shit on you because you you had the temerity to to stand against us at Sekigahara so we're sending you right you're gonna go do this and if you don't we're gonna send all of our loyalist armies in there and we're gonna kill every last one of you you know was was the overhanging threat right so so anyway but but this this led to an entire, a, a vast portion of the samurai class, um, uh, being living in a state of genteel poverty for mm-hmm. one thing, because the Tokugawa couldn't afford for any of the daimyo to have enough money to build castles, build fortifications, maintain their own army. So they, so they forced them to live lavishly while they were in Edo, forced them to hold parties, forced them to spend an awful lot of money bringing what entourage they did have to and from the capital every other year and basically kept a whole bunch of these families on the verge of bankruptcy mm-hmm. like constantly but they had the prestige mm-hmm. of being samurai and at the same time that you have you have this this group of people who are clinging to this to this class privilege, mm-hmm. you also have all of the all of the swordsmen who were serving families that were destroyed. 
So they are still of the samurai class. They still have the right to carry weapons. They are still a step above commoners. Sure. But, but they're penny but they are penniless. Right. And they are and they are wandering they are wandering swordsmen, Ronin, men of the waves. Mm-hmm. And so Ronin had this bizarre kind of they were nobles, mm-hmm. but they were also vagabond beggars kind of thing going on. Okay. They were supposed to be upholding this this very rigid code of warrior behavior and set of warrior kind of ethics. And one of the ways this wound up expressing itself uh, for, for Ronin and anybody in the samurai class was um, and, and I think this is unfortunately very, very pointedly relevant to current events today in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, they had the right of kirisute gomen, literally cutting paper. Oh, this is not going to sound good in the next two sentences. No, it is not. Um, samurai were a, a class above commoners. Okay, and we're not even going to talk about how how many steps above Eta or outcasts they were. Okay, um, but any samurai had the right, as a member of the samurai class, to punish any commoner who was insufficiently deferent. So, if a commoner was too slow in bowing or mm-hmm. gave him lip or did anything to insult the samurai's honor, the samurai had the right to cut that peasant down. Like paper. Like, well, yes. And literally all he would have to do is go to the local, essentially, magistrate's office mm-hmm. and say, I, uh, Hentaro Sejuro, cut down this peasant, this oil seller, to give an example out of out of uh, James Clavel, uh, cut cut this oil seller down in the street because uh, he, he dishonored me. I did it on this day at this time, hour of the horse at this place, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that was it. You just basically had to fill out the paperwork. Wow. And so if anybody was insufficiently respectful to a samurai or a ronin for that matter, mm-hmm. that, that member of the samurai class had the class privilege, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. To, to end that peasant's life. Which, you know, kind of brings me around to the way people respond when police decide they're going to shoot people in our country right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you should not have been doing that. Oh, okay. So we're just giving the police this right to do that then. Okay, fine. Yeah. You know, while at the same time, those same law enforcement officers are going to warrior cop trainings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where they're where they're being taught that, you know, there are wolves and there are sheep, and if you're a sheep, you think a a sheepdog looks an awful lot like a wolf. Right. Like, you know, how about you stop being so condescending, recognize that you are in fact a civilian because you can quit at any fucking time, unlike an actual soldier, and how about you do police work? Yeah. Assholes. <laughs> So, which is anyway. in some ways how a lot of people saw the Jedi um, in in Star Wars, like uh, in in the novels especially. It was uh, you know here's here's the Jedi and here's the uh, <clears throat> how to put uh, the the perception of them 
was such that the Jedi were not the good guys. They were just the ones who were more powerful. Being more powerful didn't make them more right, and they seemed to confuse the two. That was a, a standard through line uh, in the novels. Okay. So and this is, of course, uh, pre and post the the Ridge Tridge. Um, like, okay. you know, when it's, when it's in the prequels, a lot of people, it, which is what they use to explain why the Separatists work why so many people flee to the separatist and fight the Jedi willingly. Um, where, okay. yeah. So, okay. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. And that, and that does make sense. But, but what's, what's important to note is again, mm-hmm. and that, that you had this, the, you, historically speaking, there mm-hmm. was like, honest to God, there was almost kind of a Jedi class in Japan, which mm-hmm. is you had these highly trained, because you don't you don't learn you don't become good with with a samurai sword or a spear or any of that kind of stuff you know overnight you have to spend a lot of time learning how to do it i think 6 you know, months i think cuz that's that's how long it took tom cruise to do it to to beat to beat the guy who taught swordcraft um in in the last samurai um so yeah 6 right. months 6 months and yeah. you get to be good at it yeah, <clears throat> yeah which is right, still right, more right, training than yeah. our police get yeah yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, of course, uh, Tom Cruise's character had the advantage of, of being an American, which yeah. means that that cuts the training time for anything down by like three hundred percent in True. any movie made by Hollywood ever. In fairness, I will say at least they gave him the background of being a soldier who used swords previously. At least you yes. did that because when you had okay. dances with wolves, you didn't have any of that, and the white guy still became the best Indian. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. But but at the same time, I don't think six months will get you to fighting no. to a draw with the guy who teaches you everything. No. Yeah. Uh, speaking speaking as a student of actually trying to learn how to use a sword, not mm-hmm. not, a, not a katana, of course, but a sword, you know. <laughs> not no. so much. Yeah. Uh, no, not so much. Um, but, you know, for, for anybody who was honest to goodness, a trained swordsman, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were the best at what they did. And what they did was not very nice. Um, you know, yeah. and, and they, they were expected by the society they lived in to follow this incredibly rigid, uh, in many ways, really toxically macho kind of code. Oh yeah. And so the, it, so and so that that gave rise to you know anybody slights your honor if it's another samurai you're going to have a duel if it's a peasant you're just going to fucking kill him mm-hmm. um and you know and then and then there was this this huge issue as the Tokugawa shogunate went on and on and on you you had this class of uh the only people who could who could reach you know middle rank or higher in the in the uh, social bureaucracy mm-hmm. of the government were members of the samurai class and so they identified as warriors but they made a living as tax collectors mm-hmm. and and civil engineers and you know all of the other all of the other kind of bureaucrats that you need to have in order to in order to make a government run sure and so there was, there was this, there was the, as a class, they had this massive identity crisis going on, mm-hmm. which in in some in some more recent samurai movies is a wonderful 
it gets it gets explored in in a really in a really great way in a couple of them. Um, but but in Jidageki, what you have is the western is like in the westerns you you have the romanticized you know soft focused kind of version of this which is well you know the men the men who weren't able to do that you know the men who who you know lost their family you know lost lost their their position right. uh you know went off went off into the world you know wandering and along the way you know when they see the system of the situation of injustice they they you know they're compelled they have to do something about it right um and and it's very very confucian mm-hmm. you know it's, it's it's based on the idea that that you know when when they when they see somebody being dishonorable they can't walk away right you know and, and even even when the protagonist is morally gray um you know, uh, uh, he 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 eventually has to come around on the side of defending, you know, the the star-crossed lovers, uh, or or, you know, helping the widows and orphans, or, you know, um, and 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 so in in my favorite Jidageki movie of all time, mm-hmm. uh, Yojimbo. Okay. Um, it's it's uh, Kurosawa directing and. Um, and I've completely forgotten his name. My favorite Japanese actor of all time, Toshiro Mifune. Uh, Toshiro Mifune, correct. Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, and Toshiro Mifune in, in the title role, he he plays this guy who is outwardly a scoundrel who winds up who winds up uh, uh, turning, not turning, playing one organized crime family off against the other, and and kind of kind of for for the first. 25 30 minutes of the movie he's kind of playing both sides against the middle and and mm-hmm. kind of making some money living comfortably off of it and then his plan all goes to to shit because he he one he kind of gets caught out but the reason he gets caught out is because he he has to step in to save an innocent bystander okay and and then and then once that happens it's like okay no i got to i got to fix this by basically like killing everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> so and so, you know, then, then you have the, the, uh, combination master swordsman and guile hero then being like, then, then also turning out to be basically unkillable, uh, even though he gets, I mean, he gets, he gets the shit kicked out of him, but, but they don't kill him and he comes back and, and, you know, it's a great movie okay. and I'm, I'm doing it, I'm doing it a massive disservice by, by oversimplifying it. But anyway, um, so, but but that's that's the kind of story arc that is ubiquitous in in the genre is this wandering warrior mm-hmm. who has this innate moral code who gets pulled into having to do the right thing whether they really want to or not, and so the historical template for Jedi Geki mm-hmm. are the samurai and the Ronin of the Edo period. And so spiritually it's the samurai and the Ronin of the Edo period who are the Genesis of, of the Jedi. Okay. Okay. And, and so that, that is, that is kind of where, where that all brings us to this point. That's actually a really good, um, cutoff point. That's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, you you you're absolutely 100% right. Um so yeah, if you need to tidy up a few more edges there, 
um, you're welcome to do so. But if um, not, then we can we can certainly uh, turn this into well, a two-parter, if not more. Oh, it's going to be more than two parts because <laughs> there's because there's 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 more there's more to say about the historical roots of this uh, with with samurai. Good, and then we can get into what what the Jedi actually wound up looking looking like, which is a lot more like the Order of the Knights Templar, which mm-hmm. I can go into. Uh, and then um, what it could have looked like, which right. in the East is I'm going to I'm, I'm going to talk about um, uh, uh, apostolic succession, as it were, uh, in in lineages of martial arts, um, you know, teacher to stu- student and different schools of swordsmanship, different schools of, of karate, yaido, aikido, etc., um, and then I'm also going to talk about the Freifester guilds of Germany and how that could have been a model the Jedi could have been built on. And some of the stories we could have gotten could have been a lot more interesting. Cool. So based on where we are cutting off, what is your takeaway right now? Uh, takeaway right now is that, um, you know, when you see a movie is inspired by true events. Yeah. Yeah. It, normally that's like there's literally a nugget of it and it might just be a costuming nugget that gets <laughs> through. Um yeah. so and and this doesn't even claim that. Uh but it I think the Jedi, like I said earlier, the Jedi in the canon, just in the, the what was called the Lucas canon. By the way, there are different levels of canon. Uh what was called the Lucas yeah. canon. Um, the Jedi in that went through a number of changes as he kept writing because he didn't write with yeah. the end in mind, uh, and and the Jedi show that pretty clearly. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So I would say that uh, my takeaway is essentially that uh, maybe a Central Valley car enthusiast uh, uh, <laughs> filmmaker. <laughs> From the auteur tradition, doesn't know shit about shit when it comes to actual history and antecedents. And it's a really good thing that a committee and a studio hemmed him in for the first three episodes because those were good. Um, yeah. But when his wife was not editing his shit for him and when nobody was hemming him in because he was the uh, the the studio, we saw what and, happened. And when- and and when he didn't have Harrison Ford there on set to look at him and say, "You can write this shit, George, but you can't say it." Right. But even you know, even even like, that, like, like um, yeah, it was still the editing process that saved that whole movie. Uh, you know. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. No, but did you? Uh, so, so mm-hmm. I'm sure you did. But mm-hmm. but I'm gonna ask anyway. Uh, did you ever watch? Uh, I know in the in, with the with the prequel trilogy. Uh, in the box set, there was, you know, behind the scenes before, before the film was, you know, well, while they were in storyboarding and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they had all kinds of stuff that, that got turned into a, into a documentary mm-hmm. and I don't remember who it was, but it was one of the guys at, at, uh, uh, ILM mm-hmm. who, who kind of acted like the, like the kind of stage manager of the, of the documentary. And he, he would, they'd be interviewing him. And he'd say, well, you know, and, and George, you know, had had this really great set of ideas. And we went into storyboard. It was just and, and he was like in in those moments where he was talking directly to the camera, he was just effusive about like, oh, man, you know, this was so great and everything. 
And then you, you cut away to an actual scene where, where Lucas is going over the storyboard with, with a bunch of people in the room, including this guy. Mm-hmm. And it is so clear that everybody in the room is terrified of saying a word. Is this where Lucas has the highlighters and he's like, this guy's digital, this guy's not, this guy's digital, this guy's not. Is it during that scene? Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, well, that one, that one and a whole bunch of others. And there's yep. just a whole bunch of people in the room who are like, whatever you say, because at this point you're, you're, you know, the God emperor of ILM. And if I say anything, I'm, I'm out on the street. Yeah. With, like nothing. Well, you know, with a ton of experience, yeah. but yeah, at the same time, I don't get to be under yeah, the well, wings I, of the dragon. So yeah. yeah, I think that was Ralph McQuarrie. No, I take no. that back. It was not. It was oh. Dennis. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh shit! Can't remember the last, but you yeah. know, you know who I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like, like in all the interview segments, it's like uh, clearly he thought George was going to watch every minute of it. Oh yeah. So he was just you know sticking his lips right on the starfish, and and then you and then you watch the actual film of how everybody was acting and like oh you're yeah. all terrified of the man. Oh yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. And the ideas he was sharing were just bad. Yeah. Oh, like, it, it was, well, like it's Rick McCallum. That was the guy's name. There um, we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I knew it was a Scottish name. Uh, but um, it was, it was like, how to, how to, yeah. It, like, like everybody was afraid to tell him that you're making a fan film, George. <laughs> you know, I, I love I love how you you encapsulate it all into that because it's it's totally correct. It really and it's, is, and that's and that's not the way I ever would have come up with phrasing it on my own. But no. yeah, you're totally yeah. right. It it really it really is like so. What we're saying here is you watched troops and decided you wanted to do that. <laughs> yeah, you just have more like, money. You're a money mark. You know, you like all like all the money. All yeah. the money. No, yeah. George Lucas uh, was yeah. the WWF, and he turned into uh, GFW. Which, if you have not watched a documentary on Global Force Wrestling, you gotta. Oh my god! Um, but okay. the the guy who developed it, it was just hilarious. They asked everybody, like, what would he be doing now if he hadn't died? And one person's like, time. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so, and when he died, so, the, there's a wrestler who's like, "Well, you know, he died doing what he loved—cocaine and hookers." <laughs> <laughs> it's just so much fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, so so, so what you're saying is uh, this yeah. guy was the Joe Exotic of professional wrestling? Yeah, after a fashion, yes. Yeah, so, okay. Yeah, that'll date us. Um, so uh, anything that you're reading or watching um, as of late? Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm up to my neck in the, uh, uh, process of trying to prepare for, um, virtually, uh, yeah. teaching my students until October. Uh, so not, not really. Okay. Um, Fair. I, I wish, I wish I can say something different, but no, um, I will say that, uh, folks who, who listened to our episode back in, in season one, mm-hmm. uh, about, um, Thatcherism and 40k uh, may or may not be heartened to know that um, I, I have actually uh, started spending an awful lot of my spare time back in that universe again. Good. Um, Preparing and, for November, I see. 
Uh, well, yeah. Uh, if I can figure out how to use a bolt gun between now and then, that probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, I have oiled up my chain sword and I'm ready to go. But uh, I was just thinking in terms of heraldry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that too. yeah. You know, so. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I got going on. How okay. about you? What are, what are you reading these days? Uh, let's see. I am also feverishly putting out content uh, that that will be district proof. Um, for my students, so just tons, tons, and tons, and tons of. You're infinitely more productive than I am. I haven't put out any content yet. I'm just busy boning up on what what the hell am I going to even try to do? Well, the advantage of teaching a skills based class that I am the only expert on in the entire district. Um, but uh, good. Yeah, uh, I just show up and know stuff. It's kind of nice. Um, but I I do recommend if you get a chance. Go watch the People versus George Lucas. It's it's a okay delicious little film um, documentary. I think that's where I actually cribbed the uh, the 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 stance and the the verbiage for he made a fan a fan film. I don't think that's mine. Um, oh, okay. but I think I got it okay. from there. So uh, I would recommend that. And uh, other than that. Um, oh, the other thing I would recommend is I have fallen down the deep rabbit hole of watching Letter Kenny. Oh really? Oh my God! Have you seen that? You need to uh, see that I, bits of it. I, you, I haven't. I haven't oh actually sat down and watched the series. I've, oh. I've seen. I've seen the clips that are all over YouTube. Oh, I don't know any um, clips that are on YouTube. Just watch the don't, videos. Don't, don't watch fuck it. up. Don't don't fuck up my steak dinner, dairy. Yeah, that's that's in there. Um, but like, I will strike you. <laughs> there, there is so much good writing <laughs> and so much trusting of the audience in that show. I strongly recommend that you go watch it. So that's what I would recommend. So, okay. um, as have to check it out then. always, where can people find you on the social medias? I can be found on the social media. <laughs> Thank you, Squirrely Dan. <laughs> uh, they can find me on the social medias uh, at uh, Mr. Blaylock on uh, the uh, 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 on the on the Insta? Instagram. Mm-hmm. Sorry, took me a minute. On, on Insta at Mr. Blaylock. Mm-hmm. They can find me on the Twitter at E.H. Blaylock. Oh. And uh, if you really if you really want to be disappointed, you can look for me on the TikTok at Mr. Blaylock as well and find the one video that I've put up. Nice. Uh, how about, and, and of course, if you want to shout at the two of us on mm-hmm. the Twitter, you can go to Geek History Time. Yes. And Mr. Harmony, where can they find you on well, social medias? You can find me at Duh Harmony. That's two H's in the middle on both Twitter and Instagram. Uh, as uh, Rosales underscore Pedro did uh, this last time. Shout out to him asking about the Hawkeye comic that you mentioned. Um, so I, I put him yes. onto the track of that. That fraction one. Yes. Um, and uh, from 2015. Uh, and so you can yes. find me on those as he has, and as, as several others have as well. Um, and yeah, no, I think that's, that's about it. You can also find me on twitch.tv forward slash capital puns, um, capital with an O every Tuesday night at eight thirty. So, and if you All are right. a producer looking to produce a, uh, wrestling talk show, uh, calling it in the ring is on hiatus until we can find ourselves a good producer. So hit me up. All right, so All right. for A Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And remember, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hatred. And hatred 
leads to a deep misunderstanding of how Buddhism actually works. <laughs>